the sun comes up Driving when the sun goes down The hum of 18 wheels Lord, that's a lonely sound I spend all day Chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time Hey friends, this is Gary Rayburn of Lonesome Road Ministries, and we've got an awesome program for you. I know you're going to enjoy it today, and you're going to want to get more copies of this, so give us a call, 618-383-2107, or log on to lonesomeroad.org. Or you can email me at gary.lonesomeroad at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now sit back. Listen and enjoy today's program from Lonesome Road Ministries, Church on the Road. Give us a call. We look forward to hearing from you. I keep those wheels turning from town to town. There's so much I got to see. I got to look around. I got diesel smoke rolling. From two chrome stacks, my address is 408 414 big blue mag now it don't matter where i'm going i just gotta drive i have the white line fever to the day that i die i said 18 wheels rolling on the road it is my life 18 wheels rolling on the road it is my life Daryl Spicer. Gary Rayburn. Look who we got riding along with us today. Hey, how you mama them? They good. They all good. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I'm I'm just honored to be a part of this, man. This is this is a great way to share the love of Christ and get to talk about some good truck driving. That's stories. it. It's the real people, the real deal. Well, it's gonna be a good day today. Yes, sir, Daryl, it's gonna be a great day. We have the testimony of a good friend of mine. Rob Greenwald, he's a local guy, lives right here in my hometown. He's pastored several churches. I've known Rob ever since he was a little bitty guy. I took him for a ride in my semi one day down to Cave In Rock, Illinois and back. He probably still remembers that. He was just a little fellow then. But uh, as Rob grew up, we became good friends. So today we're going to give him a ride in the cab with us on our radio program, and he's going to share his testimony. Here's my good friend, Rob Greenwald. I want to start out by saying that there, I wish there was something I knew when I was young, when I was early teens, pre-teens, or something I wish I knew. I wish I knew that I had an enemy. And see, I didn't know that. And I, I truly believe that most young people in America today, they don't know that they have an enemy. 
And most adults don't even know that they have an enemy. An enemy that, and it's not just a, you know, it's just not a friend, friendly rivalry. You know, it's not like two high school teams playing football. It's not like that. Uh, you know, it's not two buddies in a competition. It's not like that. But we actually have an enemy that sets up uh, traps for us and distractions for us. And just what the scripture says that First Peter tells us that our enemy wants to devour us. And the Gospel of John says that he wants to destroy us. He wants to steal from us. And ultimately, he wants to kill us. And, and see, we just don't know that. Many children in America today, they don't know that. I didn't know that as I was a child, as I was a young person going up through grade school and high school. I didn't know that there was somebody trying to lead me down a path that I really didn't want to go anyway. But, but it's true, and that's something I want to make sure that every person that hears this CD, I want to make sure that they know that there is traps set for them, and that's why it's so important to, to stay in tune with God and to follow God. So wouldn't it be great if we all knew about these traps of the enemy, and wouldn't it be great if we all knew to keep an eye out for them? So and another thing I want you to know, I want you to know that I'm definitely not proud of the decisions I've made in my life. I've made a lot of bad decisions. I'm definitely not proud of them, but I'm so thankful for the power of Jesus Christ to transform a miserable sinner and turn him into a happy, content, productive child of God. So with that being said, I just want to start out by telling you that, uh, you know, I grew up in a great family. You know, we didn't have much. We, we grew up, uh, I wouldn't say poor, but we just didn't have much. We didn't have air conditioning, didn't have a lot of, a lot of the things that almost every family in, uh, has nowadays. Uh, but I had a great mom and dad. They, they loved me, and, and they knew how to show me that love. So I can't use that as an excuse. My mom and dad didn't beat me. Well, once in a while, my dad didn't beat me, but I knew why he was beating me when he did. But uh, so I can't use that for an excuse, uh, and I really have no excuse other than the devil had a, would set up traps for me, and I would wholeheartedly walk through them. It was my decisions that led me the way I went. I don't believe that uh, God had, had planned for me to become an alcoholic and a drug addict. I don't think that was God's plan at all. God had a, a good plan, what the Scripture says, but because I followed uh, the devil and walked through these traps that he had for me, it ended, I ended up in some, some very bad, bad places and doing some very bad things to my family and, and, and to those around me. You know, I really don't know how old I was when I first started uh, drinking and drugging and, and things like that, but I do know the first time I got caught buying marijuana. We always called it pot back in the day. I don't know if they call it pot anymore or not, but... Uh, but I was in the seventh grade the first time I ever got caught buying pot. And you and I wonder, that was many years ago now, but I wonder at what age do they start buying pot today? It was seventh grade back then. Well, is it the sixth grade now? Is it the fifth grade now? I wonder just when was it? And you would think by the spanking that I got from my dad with that belt, you would think that I would never have touched drugs again, or I'd never bought marijuana again, but that just wasn't the case. You know, I just didn't realize the traps that the devil had set for me. So that was in the seventh grade, and, uh, you know, I continued in seventh and eighth grade, like most young people probably, you know, when a weekend would come around, if I had a chance to go out and drink a few beers and sneak home at night or stay all night with a buddy, whatever the case may be, I would do that. 
you know, stealing cigarettes from my aunts and uncles and my, and my dad, and stuff, just like probably most of us. So that's kind of where it started, but where it really intensified is whenever I got in high school. Because when you get in high school, you know that you've got all these newfound freedoms. You don't have that same teacher looking over you each and every hour, and you're more on your own and all kinds of stuff. And uh, God had blessed me uh, with certain amount of athletic ability, and he gave me a good arm. I could throw a baseball very hard and very far, and and in basketball, I was fast, and so I, I could play basketball. And, and it was always very important to me when I was in grade school. I always started on the starting five and played shortstop and, and uh, third base in high school. And when I got in high school, it was no different. I started out playing sports. I started third base uh, for varsity baseball at Wayne City. And for the first three years of, of high school, I lettered. I got a varsity letter in, in baseball my first three years. But by the time I was a senior, I was so involved in drinking and drugging and that whole lifestyle that I didn't even go out. And that hurts me today, and I really wish young people would understand that we can take these paths that lead us the wrong way, but when you look back, you'll regret those paths because there's so many things that the enemy stole from me, those years, those precious youthful years that we live through, that the devil takes from us. And if I had to go back and do it over, of course, like many of you, I would do it completely different. But God had blessed me with ability, with a talent and ability, and by the time I was a senior, I, I had no use for sports at all. And one of the reasons that was is because just like almost every other young person, I had people in high school that I looked up to. They were older than me. But they had the things that I wanted. They had a nice car. They had girlfriends. They played sports. But the problem was they drank and drug. And I wanted everything they had. I liked to drink and drug. So I lived my life as they did. And I watched them, and I would just do what they done. And I want to encourage we should be very careful who we watch. We should be very careful who we pattern our lives after. And, of course, that just led to a downward spiral. By the time I was in the junior and senior year, my school attendance was terrible. I just didn't hardly ever go. And, and my senior year, and I don't say this with pride at all, my senior year I got expelled three different times, one time for being drunk at school and, and just various other things. But that lifestyle led me to a very low point in my life. And it really led me to a place in my life that just wasn't me. By the time I was a junior and senior in high school, the person that I was was not who I was. And that was because I had allowed the devil to lead me down paths that I did not want to go to. But there was one good thing that did come out of high school, and that was I met the love of my life, which is my wife. Still married today, thank goodness, just by the grace of God for that. We got married. I got out of high school. I'd like to tell you that I have a diploma from Wayne City High School, but I have to tell you I do not. I end up getting my GED afterwards. I missed graduating by just a few points. And you know what the sad part about it was? I didn't care. It didn't matter to me if I had a diploma or not. I didn't care if, if I missed school or not. I didn't care what the teacher said. I didn't care what the coaches said. I didn't care what my mom and dad said. And once, once again, that's another path that the devil leads you down, a life where you don't care. But it can be different. It don't have to be that way. So, so I got married. Uh, I was 19 and my wife was 17. 
Of course, you know, we thought we would be together forever, you know, and, and we was so much in love, and we was doing so good for several years, you know. We, we got married and bought a place uh, out in the country, lived out in the country for four years, and then we, then we got the itch to move closer to town, and we bought a, a house. In fact, the house we still live in today moved closer to town. We had a garage out behind the house, and we moved closer to town, and all my old buddies started coming back and running around again, you know, and come back and visit, and we started playing poker once a week and carrying on and, and doing all kinds of, of crazy things, and the, every week, things would get more intense. We'd do more drugs and, and more alcohol, and, the, and they would last longer, and sometimes we even played, played poker and partied for over 24 hours, just over and over and over again. And once again, I was in this downward spiral, this trap that the devil had set for me, and I was willingly walking down into that trap. I come to a place in my life where my whole life was a mess. My, my health was bad. I'd lost like 30 pounds, and uh, my finances was a mess. My marriage was a mess. My job was in jeopardy. My entire life was a mess. And it was all because of the drugs and the alcohol and the lifestyle that that led to. I was just in a bad place. It had all snowballed to a place that I didn't know what to do. I didn't know I needed help. I didn't know anything about it. So finally, I got to this place in my life where me and my wife had been separated for a couple of months. That didn't bother me either. But right before I went into rehab, and I think this is just the grace of God, right before I went into rehab, my wife and I, we got back together. And I'll I'll never forget, I was laying on the couch one day, two weeks before I went into rehab, I was too sick to work, couldn't work, but there wasn't one day I didn't put drugs into my body. And let me tell you, if you don't know what that is, I'll tell you what that is, that is bondage. And that is bondage from the enemy, and that is the devil. And that's what he wants to do. Not just to me. He didn't just single me out. He wants the same for all of us. He come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he came to do. And he, he don't want us to ha- be happy. He don't want us to have joy in our life. He don't want us to have love in our life. He don't want us to know who Jesus Christ is. He don't want us to have a relationship with God. He wants us in turmoil. He wants us to be hurting, to crying, and things like that. So two weeks before I went into rehab... There wasn't one day I worked because I was too sick to work, but there wasn't one day I didn't do drugs. I couldn't sleep, but I couldn't stay awake. I'd take vitamins to keep me going, you know, and, and, uh, and everybody around me knew it. My mom and dad knew it. Of course, they was devastated. My wife knew it, and they was at wit's end. They didn't know what to do. And I'll never forget laying there on that couch one mid-morning. I was out of it. I, I just out of it, been up all night before. And they come in, they wanted me to go to Mount Vernon with them, which was highly unusual, and I didn't have, really have a clue of where they was wanting me to go until we pulled in the driveway, and we pulled in the driveway of Good Samaritan Hospital there, and they convinced me to go in and just talk to them, so we went in and talked to them, and, and the more we talked, the matter I got. I told my mom and dad I didn't, didn't need them. I didn't have a problem. If they had the problem, I didn't need them no more for them to just get out of my life. I didn't have no need for them, but for some reason, once again, just because of the grace of God, I held on to my wife. And in doing that, why, she convinced me in the, 
counselor convinced me to just stay in there for just just the weekend, just to sober up and just to get some things straight in my life just for the weekend. Well, see, it's a 28-day program, and, and I didn't want to do that because, after all, what would everybody think, you know, with me being in rehab and, and things? But what I didn't realize, why well, everybody knew anyway, they, they knew that I had lost all this weight, and they knew that I was done this and done that. It didn't surprise nobody. I do remember, of course, we, we own the, my family's owned the Napa store there in Wayne City for years, and I told you about the love that my dad had had for us as we was growing up, and there was people that after they heard that I was in rehab, they'd go in and ask dad, and they was kind of curious of what his response would be, and most of them thought that his response would be, oh, Jerry, we're so sorry, we're so sad that it has come to this, but they didn't realize that my dad was happier than he'd ever been because finally his son was at a, sp- at a place that he could get turned around. Finally, his son was at a place where he wouldn't be leaving drugs on his desk at Napa and there wouldn't be drugs left in the bathroom accidentally at Napa and he wouldn't have to go through that on a regular basis. So, and then once again, that's the, that's the love of a father. So I was asleep on the couch, we went to rehab. I wasn't about to stay 28 days, but they convinced me to stay for the weekends. And so I went in there and, and, and got the drugs out of my system and went in, they got me a room, I laid down and, and was able to go to sleep. And, and literally I didn't, other than to use the restroom, I didn't get out of that bed for three days. That's how long it took my body to recuperate and get the drugs out of my system. I, it's like I slept for three days. It's just a, terrible what the amphetamines does to our bodies. But I was different. I, was, I wasn't that old. I was 27 years old, and, and as the days went on, I decided to stay a little bit longer because I felt like I had gotten better in there. But as I looked around, I see all these hard people. They was older than me. They looked older than me. They, they looked like alcoholics. They looked like drug addicts. They looked like, hey, these guys got problems. And here I was, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I looked young and healthy, and, and, and after I, you know, sobered up for about a week, I looked pretty good again. You know, I was light on weight, but I was, I was looking pretty good again. So, so I thought, well, these people here, they're in a completely different area than me. I mean, these guys got problems, and here I just had a little relapse, you know, or a little, little just got out of control a little bit. But as I went to the groups and meetings, and I would sit there, and I, and I, and I wouldn't talk the first week or so, and I would listen to these stories, and I got to noticing, man, their stories sound like my stories. Man, you mean you were separated from your wife? You mean you lost all that weight, and meaning you stole money to buy drugs, and you borrowed money you didn't have to buy drugs, and, and, all, and all these things? And that's when I come to realize that I did have a problem. And so I stayed in there another week. So I was fastly approaching. I, I, that there was probably within the second and third week of the 28 days. And, and I'll never forget the beginning of the third week, a good friend of mine, Marlon Manning, a farmer, a good old country cowboy farmer from, from Blueford, he'd come to see me. And I'd sold him tons of parts, and he, he loved me. He was like my folks. He loved me. He didn't matter how bad I was hung over the next day. He didn't matter if my breath was good or bad. He didn't matter what I'd done night before when he came to a part story. He put his arms around me and he loved me. And because of that, 
And because of that, and that, that's very important for us believers now, we need to love these people. We need to love them. We used to be just like them. We need to love them how they are. So therefore, when he walked into my, and, and we, you couldn't have visitors when you first got there. You had to wait a few weeks before you could have visitors. And when he walked in that, uh, that hospital room, I was so glad to see him because he had loved me when I was unlovable. Just like God. God loves us when we're unlovable. Whether you think you're lovable or whether you don't think you're lovable, God loves you. And he started telling me about that God loved me and that God had a plan for me and that God wanted me to part, be a part of his family. But I knew, see, and, that, and that's, this is one thing that we need to understand, see, I, as a sinner, I knew everything I had done wrong, and I knew God didn't approve of them. And there will be people listening to this tape, and they'll say, God don't want me, God don't want me in church, and I'm going to tell you opposite, God does want you, and God does want you in church. God knows what you did, and he's got, a, he's got the answer to that, and that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So here this man, Marlon Manny, he come in and told me that God had a plan for me and that he loved me. And I told him, I said, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been involved with. And he said, it don't matter. He said, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you and change you. And he told me, if, if you'll just put your trust in Jesus Christ... If you'll just put your hope and trust in him, that God will change you on the inside, and you'll never be the same. And I was just silly enough to believe him. And I prayed that prayer with him. And praise God, I, I tell you that my life has not been the same since then. God reached down to someone so unworthy. He reached down to an alcoholic and drug addict that had done very few things right in life. And he changed me on the inside. That's another thing that many, most people don't understand. If you're not a born-again child of God, you don't understand that, that when we turn our life over to God, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God changes us on the inside. That sin, that thing that we used to be involved with, it's not fun no more. God gives us the power to say no to that sin. He gives us the power to overcome that sin. Long story short, I got baptized and started, started serving the Lord. Uh, me and my wife had, had got back together, and we was doing good. We was going to church and serving the Lord, and, and I was going to AA. I was going to NA. I was going to all of them, you know, just trying to stay sober, trying to stay hooked up with the Lord and stuff, and, and I made it real good. I made it real good for, for about six months, and you know, after I got out and got healthy again, well, then I, then I started wanting to play sports again. So, so a bunch of my buddies, they was playing softball over at Mount Vernon, and, and they asked me if I wanted to play. So I started playing with them, and, you know, we'd play once a week and practice a couple times a week, and we, we, we had a good team. And that brought me back around all those other things that had got me in trouble the last time. So I made it real good after I got out of rehab for six months, and then I relapsed. And man, it bothered me. I tell you, it wasn't just a, I wasn't out there doing it just for the fun. I mean, it really bothered me. I was trying to live for the Lord. I was doing everything I could. I thought I was doing everything I could to live for the Lord. But I relapsed after six months. And, 
And I cried out to God and I told him to help me. And, you know, help me. I need help, Lord. And, and I continued to go into church. And, and I made it good for three months. And then I relapsed again and cried out to the Lord, help me, Lord. I need your help. And I made it good once again and for about a month and a half. And then I relapsed again. The next thing you knew, then I relapsed a week later. And the next thing I knew, I was almost back to where I was once again. But I, if I'd done anything right, this is it. During this time of relapse, I continued to seek God, and I continued to go to church. You know, I tell you, I, I hear on a, once in a while that, you know, the, the church is full of hypocrites. And you know what I say? You're right. It is full of hypocrites. Everybody in churches are hypocrites. We don't mean to be, but we are. But let me tell you, it's important for people that need help, they need to be comfortable in church. They need to know that we've got open arms. And this next part's the reason I say that, because we was going to Bible study. Me and my wife, we was going to a Bible study at uh, Bill and Vicki Clark's house. They pastor a church there in Wayne City, still yet today, the Church of the Harvest. And we had a Bible study there, me and my wife and Bill and Vicki Clark and another young man that was going to seminary. I had slowly went down this wrong path again with drugs and alcohol and and they ask, at the end of the Bible study, they just very ask a very simple question, does anybody need prayer? And at that time in my life, I knew I needed prayer once again. And I asked them to pray for me. And, and just what the book of James says, I just, I, I just stood there before them, and they just laid their hands upon me and anointed me with oil. And the power of God just come over me, and I don't know any other way of describing it other than that. The power of God come upon me. And I just started weeping like a baby. And that lasted for like 15 or 20 minutes, just weeping like a baby. I don't know why I was weeping. I don't know what all God done inside of me. But I do know from that day on, I never thirsted or hungered for a drug or alcohol from that day on. Praise God. Praise God. And, and that is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. The last thing I, that I do want to... Tell everybody, anybody that's here today and everybody that listens to this CD is that it don't matter where you are, God can bring you out of it. It don't matter if you've never made a right decision in your entire life, God can change you. It don't matter where your bad decisions have taken you, no matter how many times you've denied him, no matter how many times you've took his name in vain, God is willing to reach down and bring you out of that. He's willing, and that's what he wants. And it's all because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that that's available. Thank you, Lord. I feel like I should give a plea to the lost. A plea to the truck drivers out there today. If you're at a place in your life and you don't know how you got there, I want to tell you that you can change today. Not, not on your own. Not by yourself. You can't change. My decisions and my own plan took me to a bad place. And there's a good chance, if you're listening to this CD, there's a good chance your bad decisions has taken you to a, a bad place. But that's with you in control. But I want to tell you today, if you will humble yourself and you'll cry out to God and ask God to forgive you and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins, he'll make you a new person. The Bible literally says in Ephesians, 
It literally says that God takes us from being a child of judgment, a child of wrath. And when we receive Jesus into our heart and ask him to forgive us of our sins, we actually become a child of God. And that's what changes everything. It changes everything. We go from being a, a child of wrath or judgment, a child of this world, to being a child, a blessed child, a child of God. And that changes everything. So I want to lead you in a prayer. And just repeat after me. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. All my sin, all my shame, all my hurts, all my wrongdoings, I don't deny them. I've done all of those and probably more. But I open my heart now. I want to change now, Lord, and I ask for you to help me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Change my heart now. Forgive me now. Make me a child of God now. Not because I deserve it, but because of the grace of God. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me tell you, if you didn't mean those words, if they were just words to you, they didn't mean nothing to God. But if you meant those words in your heart, they meant something to God. And the scripture says that you are now a child of God. Now, the next thing you need to do, if you said this prayer and you meant this in your heart, the next thing you need to do, you need to tell someone. Tell someone around you, a family member, you can call and talk to Chaplain Gary. But you need to tell someone. And when you do that, that solidifies your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Won't you put your trust in Jesus, the one who died on Calvary? He will open up your blinded eyes In the empty tomb you will see Trust in Jesus, He'll give you new life Trust in Jesus, He'll end your pain and strife Trust in Jesus, learn how to pray Trust Him today, no longer stray. Won't you put your trust in Jesus? Won't you put your trust in Jesus? He will give you eternal light. The gift is free for you and for me. He's the way. The truth and the life Trust in Jesus He'll give you new life Trust in Jesus He'll end your pain and strife Trust in Jesus Learn how to pray Trust Him today No longer stray Won't you put your trust in Jesus
in Jesus We'll live with Him eternally Up in heaven on streets of pure gold A mansion waits for you and me Trust in Jesus, He'll give you new life Trust in Jesus, He'll end your pain and strife Trust in Jesus, learn how to pray Trust Him today, no longer stray Won't you put your trust in Jesus? Trust in Jesus, He'll give you new life Trust in Jesus, He'll end your pain and strife Trust in Jesus, learn how to pray Trust Him today, no longer stray Won't you put your trust in Jesus? Trust in Jesus, learn how to pray Trust Him today, no longer stray Won't you put your trust in Jesus It's not just your soul that is affected by the decision you're making today. If you have children at home, if you have a spouse at home, if you have friends that are looking to you for some type of leadership, because you could take them wherever you go. And don't you want to take them to meet Jesus? If you find yourself in a difficult or uncertain life situation right now, don't try to figure it all out on your own. Ask God to show you the next step for today. It's okay if we don't have all the answers, and it's okay if we don't have it all figured out. We just need to take that next step. Maybe the next step for you is deciding that you're going to place your faith and trust in God because you never have considered that as an option. If so, then that best place to start is right now. It's as simple as saying a little prayer. Asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Asking Jesus Christ to fire you back up like you was when you first got saved. Whatever the situation is with you right now, we want to pray with you. All you got to do is pray a simple little prayer. It can be as simple as, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Lord, I want to do more. I want to be everything that you've called me to be. Take out my stony heart and give me a brand new heart. I will live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Lost in the dark, I saw the light. I gave my heart, now I have new sight. I'm down on my knees confessing my sins. Now I can see I've been born all over again. Me want to sing 
I can't keep it all in Gotta tell everyone I know Jesus is the owner of my soul Praise the Lord, He saved me Oh, just look and see I'm not the same man that I used to be Is a moment that I change. Praise the Lord, He saved me. Oh, just look and see. I'm not the same man that I used to be. like Pastor Rob said, if you prayed that and it meant something to you, if you felt God tugging at your heart, then it meant something to God. But if it didn't mean anything to you, you're just mouthing a prayer, then it meant nothing to God. 
So I pray that you pray that prayer with all your heart and God will save you and then you can praise the Lord for your salvation. church back in 1958. Now, that's a long time ago. I realize that. But uh, by the time I get to the end of this story, you're going to know who I'm talking about. But this preacher by the name of David, he had a big church in Pennsylvania. The church ran over 200 people, so it was a good-sized church. But David just wasn't satisfied. So David was sitting in his office one night, and he decided that he would just get rid of his TV. And this was 1958, so it was probably black and white, too. But anyway, he decided to spend those two hours praying and asking God for more out of his life. Well, one night he was sitting there and he picked up a Life magazine and started thumbing through it. And in this magazine, he saw pictures of these teenage boys that were on trial in New York City. It was as if God spoke to him and told him to go to New York City and try to help those teenagers. And he laughed out loud, and he said, who, me? And then he heard himself talking to God, and he just thought, wow, I could never do that. But no matter what David did, that thought would not go away. And he kept thinking, who, me, go to New York City? I'm just a country preacher. 
I've got no business in New York City. But this would not go away. So finally, he talked to his wife about it. And she said, you feel like that God is really calling you to go to New York City and help these teenagers? And David said, yeah, I believe he is. And here's what his wife told him. Well, take some warm socks because New York City is a very cold place. And so he went to his church and he talked to his church about it. And the church offered to give him money to help him go and do what he felt like God was calling him to do. So him and his youth pastor loaded up in his car and headed to New York City. They go to New York City and they go to the district attorney's office and they tell them they are there to help these teenage boys. And the district attorney just laughs at him and he said, well, you're never going to get to see these boys and there's just no way. And so David and his friend left and then David would call that district attorney. He just kept calling him and bugging him. And finally, that district attorney told him, he said, you might as well just go down there to the courthouse where the trial is and see if you can talk to the judge. That's the only way you're going to be able to get to talk to these teenage boys. So they headed down to the courthouse. They got to the courtroom and they sat through the whole trial. And at the end of the trial, these young boys were convicted and sentenced. David stood up and he said, Your Honor, Your Honor, would you give a reverend an audience with the court? And the judge just turned around and walked back to his chambers. And pretty soon, the court officers came and escorted David out of the courtroom. And when he got outside of the courtroom, the newspapers, reporters were taking pictures of him. They looked at David and they said, what's that book you're holding in your hand? He said, well, that's my Bible. He said, are you ashamed of it? He said, well, no. So he held it up high and the flash bulbs were popping. David was embarrassed when he left the courtroom and he, him and his buddy, they sat out in their car and David wept for 20 minutes. And finally he said, let's go back home. When they got back home, they found out that his picture was on the front page of the New York Times holding that Bible in the air. And it embarrassed David, what they wrote about him. And he felt like a failure. But you know what? The Holy Spirit would not leave David alone. And he kept convicting him and telling him to go back to New York City and help those teenagers. So finally, he went to his church and talked to them. And they gave him more money to go back to New York City to try to help those teenagers. And him and his youth pastor headed back to New York City. And when they got into New York City, they didn't know where to go. So they just kind of ended up walking the streets. Some of the teenage gang members seen them and they said, hey, we know you. David said, well, how do you know me? They said, well, your picture was all over the papers. You're that preacher from Pennsylvania. So David started talking to the gang members, and they listened to him. And pretty soon, there were some of them that had given their heart to the Lord. He never could figure out a way to get back to those teenagers that he thought he, God had sent him to help, but he just kept witnessing that these gang members, one after the other, would get saved and turn their heart over to the Lord. And David still felt like he had failed God. And when he went back home, he took a trip to Ohio to visit his grandfather, who was an old preacher. And him and his grandfather were sitting out in the field one day, and he said, Grandpa, I feel like I've failed God. God sent me to New York City to help these teenage boys on trial, 
and I didn't never get the chance to talk to him. David talked to his grandfather, and he told him what he felt like God had put on his heart to do, and he said, Grandpa, what do you think about it? Do you think that God was really calling me to help those boys on trial? And his grandfather said, Son, I don't think God's ever going to let you see those seven boys that you thought you were supposed to go help. And here's the reason why. He said, I don't think that's why you was even there. If you'd have got to see those seven boys, you would have thought that you had done what God had sent you to do, and you would have given up and went back home, no matter what the outcome was. God had a bigger plan. God sent you to New York City to help all the teenage boys in New York City. God's plan is always bigger than anything that we could ever dream, hope, or imagine. So David went back home and then ended up going back to New York City and back on the streets witnessing to every teenage boy he could find, every gang member he could find. If you've ever heard of Teen Challenge, David Wilkerson is the man who founded Teen Challenge. David Wilkerson was a country preacher sitting in his office asking God, there's got to be more that you can do with my life. And just totally surrendered to God and said, here am I. I want to be used. You know, life is but a vapor and God wants to do more with our lives than we could ever imagine if we will just surrender to him. There's got to be something more that God can do with my life. There's got to be something more that God can do with your life. If, if, if you will just surrender and say, God, here am I. I want to be used. So the question today is, would you like to have a stronger, more powerful relationship with God than you ever thought or dreamed possible? Find time to spend with God, just like David Wilkerson did, and see what God is calling you to do. And remember this, God loves you, and we love you too. Hey, we'll talk at you later. His voice is so powerful, so full of majesty. His voice is so powerful, so full of majesty. How great are His signs, His mighty voice thunders. How great are His signs, how mighty are His wonders. How great are His signs, He shows in me. My whole heart cries Your Holy Spirit power flows into me Your signs and wonders I pray all will see His voice is so powerful So full of majesty His voice is so powerful of majesty how great are his signs his mighty voice thunders how great are his signs how mighty
lifted high I surrender, Lord I surrender my life I give you my heart You pay for my soul I feel your presence Jesus, make me whole His voice is so powerful So full of majesty is so powerful, so full of majesty. How great are His signs, His mighty voice thunders. How great are His signs, how mighty are His wonders. How great are His signs, He's shown to I am healed by your Holy Spirit promise I have been sealed His voice is so powerful So full of majesty His voice is so powerful So full of majesty mighty voice thunders how great are his signs how mighty are his wonders how great are his signs he's shown to me your spirit fell down from above and gave me the sign of my life that's the sign My friend, Gary Rayburn, has a song called At the Foot of the Tree that Dennis McKay uh, recorded for Gary and did an awesome job. And uh, that's the first song that we've done on, it is. on uh, Lonesome Road Volume, Volume 1. one. That was the very first one. Yeah. Here is Dennis McKay singing At the Foot of the Tree. Without hope, 18 wheels of lonesome at the end of the road. In my hand was a track the preacher had read, his words still echoing in the back of my head. I felt so ashamed 
when I thought of my past Then I called his name This chance would it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree rolling down that old lonesome road and I shared the good news wherever I go yes there's been a change I'm not the man I used to be and I tell everybody what's happened to me how I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past But I called his name This chance Could it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree And I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Broken-hearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus Foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I'd been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree 